Welcome back to another episode of The Sports Skinny. As always, my name is Samara Rosenfeld. We have a lot to talk about, but we're highlighting this show today with a gigantic Mets-Phillies series preview. I have Andrew Heller with me, as always, and a very special guest, Harrison Tischler, joining us, a diehard Philly sports fan who he's, he's ready to chop it up. I, I just know it. So let's, let's dive into things. Boys, first of all, how are we today? I'm um, just, just honored to be here. Just great to meet you, Andrew. Samara, pleasure as always. Can't wait to, can't wait to share some commentary. Yeah, it's good to meet you too, Harrison. And I'm also very happy to be here once again. And uh, really looking forward to this series. It's going to be a fun four games. So, you know, you, you're excited about it. I'm not quite as excited about it. But as a Mets fan, there's always reason to have doubt going into a, a big four-game series, especially with the way that the Mets pitching staff has been. The bullpen has been abysmal. So let's, let's dive into it. I think the most important thing to remember is that Andrew and myself have a longstanding bet going. And we started this before the season started projections came out for over-unders on total wins. I believe the Mets were projected to have two or three more wins than the Phillies this season. Mm -hmm. I think it was over 30 and a half for the Mets and mm -hmm. maybe 28 and a half for the Phillies. I think that's right. Yeah, it was slightly below 500. So 28 or 29 was their over. Right. So we were both on the phone together when these projections came out. And we decided to have a little fun, throw some fair money on the, on, the, on the two teams that we love the most. And right now, even despite the Phillies playing less games, they still are one game ahead of the Mets right now, right? Yep. That, uh, yep, that's correct. Uh, Phillies are 18 and 15, and the Mets are 17 and 21. So we're two and a half games behind first place. But if I'm doing some mental math there, that's 38 games for the Mets and 33 for the Phillies. So we have five games in hand, I think, that math adds up. Depending on whether you make them up. Well, yeah, exactly. I know we are making up a bunch against the Marlins. Oh, um, it's a crazy – it's like a doubleheader Tuesday against the Red Sox, and there's two or three doubleheaders the following week. So they'll be making right, those games so up. That's also a factor in – the Phillies don't have that starting pitching depth. How are they going to handle one, two, three, four doubleheaders in an eight-day span or in a 10-day span? Well, yeah. and that's what kind of killed the Mets is the Mets were playing doubleheaders against the Marlins followed by doubleheaders against the Yankees. We also don't have a lot of depth at starting pitcher, and our bullpen has become less and less with injuries left and right. We have guys who were in the bullpen, Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman, now as starting pitchers. We sent starting pitchers Stephen Matz and David Peterson into the bullpen, and then Matz got hurt. Dellen Batances is hurt. Corey Oswalt is hurt. So it's very difficult, especially in these seven-inning games where at least the Mets haven't been stretching their pitchers. And Lugo and Gazelman, who are experienced now in the bullpen, don't have the arm strength that they used to as starting pitchers. They're going like three game, three innings, and then they're being pulled, and you need the bullpen to carry the rest of the way. So those doubleheaders can really get you. Uh, I saw it firsthand, and I hated it. So, I mean, right now, yes, the Phillies are looking better in that spot, but I have faith that that the Mets will be able to to make it up, especially this this four-game series that we have. 
highlighted by the Sunday matchup between Aaron Nola and Jacob deGrom. Can't wait for that. That's, That's going to be, be something to behold. We have Aaron Nola, who has been pretty much lights out. He's 4-2 and two this season with a 2.45 ERA, 57 strikeouts. And Jacob deGrom, who's coming off of his worst outing of the season, is 2-1 and one with a 1.76 ERA and 58 strikeouts. That game is going – hopefully will we'll live up to the hype. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think Aaron wanna... Nola, I think he's definitely shown – you know, there's issues in the last couple of years where as the season goes on, he started to decline a little bit in the quality of his outing, especially look at his numbers September last few years. But with the shortened season, he's been matched up with Patrick Corbin twice in the last week. So, it's not like – He's not, like, coming into a situation – obviously, DeGrom is a much higher-level pitcher than Patrick Corbin, but Patrick Corbin is still an ace in most staffs. So, to see Aaron Nola come in, and it's September, and he's looking as sharp as he does twice in a week against a guy like Patrick Corbin, I think that definitely is something that bodes well for the Phillies and having that confidence in big matchups against divisional rivals. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I think that's key. That's a key point is the consistency is definitely there this year. Um, he's had at least eight strikeouts in his last four starts and hasn't walked more than three batters in a game all season. I think that just really shows that he's on the money this year. Definitely staying consistent. And it's been helping that the bats are backing him up because that used to be a problem in the past. Well, that's the big problem for the Mets. It, it historically has been Jacob deGrom pitches quality starts. He allows zero or one run and the Mets aren't able to bring the bats behind him. And that's why his win-loss record is always so messed up compared to his ERA and his strikeouts and, and stuff. And, and it's frustrating. Luckily, the voters for the Cy Young Award are looking past the record, which I think is necessary. At this point, I think that quality starts and stuff and, and bringing it with the ERA – it, you, you shouldn't be judged as a pitcher based on your win-loss record, especially because a lot of it does have to do with, with who's playing behind you. And, and the Mets usually don't. And, I mean, he did give up four runs in his last outing to the Marlins. He, he pitched – this will be his first start against, a not, against not the Marlins. So he started four straight games against the Marlins this season. Wow. Which, I mean, that can definitely be something that you're continuously p- – um, going against the same players and and you get to learn them but they also get to learn you as a pitcher so in that fourth outing it, it became clear that that the ground stuff wasn't much of a surprise to them anymore and they certainly took advantage but but let's let's talk about this so the Mets are coming off of two wins in a row against the Orioles and a big comeback win on Thursday night against the Yankees came back twice Pete Alonso I called his walk-off home run he Hasn't been playing too great offensively, but I knew that it was time for him to break out, especially in that spot he was in against Araldis Chapman. Or, well, no, Chapman gave up a home run to J.D. Davis to tie it. And then Alonzo went off against, I believe his name was Abreu in the 10th inning. But the Mets are, are looking a little a little limber. They're looking nice offensively. They're They're providing runs. The biggest thing, again, is the pitching. So... If we look at the pitching matchups, Friday, it's Jake Arrieta against Rick Porcello. That's tonight. Mm-hmm. This, this game could be a toss-up. I, I might bet the over. Whatever the over is Thank on you. this, I would have her. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I think both of these guys have ERAs in the fives and the sixes. Over six. So Arietta has a 6.49 ERA, and Rick Porcello has a six, uh, even six ERA. Hammer that okay. over. And if there's a bet for oh, Jack Arietta to give up a home run, at least one or two, take it. Because that guy gives up homers like they're candy on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, just add an extra, an extra plot point to this one, too. Last time Jake Arietta faced – I think it was last time he pitched against the Mets – no, it's the last time he faced Todd Frazier. He said that he was going to put a dent in Todd Frazier's skull if he ever came at him again. So there's definitely going to be some bad blood in that one tonight. Obviously, we've seen some bad blood with the two teams last few years. Jacob Rain coming at Reese Hoskins last year. Jake Arrieta toward Frazier. And, you know, Jake Arrieta has had some issues with accountability in the clubhouse. There's a lot of times where he'll have games, not so much this year, but in the last few years where he'll give up four runs over five innings. And after the game, his explanation is, you know, Kingery missed that ball at second base or something. So I think Jake Arrieta stepping up is a huge thing for this team. Obviously, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola have been 1A, 1B. They've been studs this year. Eflin's had his moments. Spencer Howard. There was a little bit of a velocity drop toward the end of his last outing that they haven't really figured out what was up with that. But everyone has stepped up except for Jake Arrieta. So in a team that's won nine out of their last ten, and the only game they lost was a game where Arrieta went one in, I think it was one in a third. It was either, let's, yeah, it was one in a third, 46 pitches, and gave up, I think it was seven or eight runs. That inning ended up being a ten-run inning. He's really got to step up here for the Phillies, you know. For a team that was a little hesitant spending this offseason because of, because of the luxury tax, you have a guy who's making $25 million a year and pitching to a 6-5 ERA. That's not going to fly in September. So this is a big moment for him tonight to start the series. And that's kind of surprising, too, because Jake Arrieta, wasn't he on the, the Cubs championship team? He was. He's, yep. he's, he should be, at least in your mind, he should be a veteran presence who – you know, kind of bolsters that line, the starting pitching lineup rotation, and and is that guy who can be accountable for giving up a couple runs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, Harrison. He's, out of all the Phillies, he's the one who talks the most but produces the least, in my opinion. I, I just, I really don't see any value for him anymore. I can't wait for him to leave. My question for you is, would you – that we were rattling off the starting pitchers and how it's going to be a problem for these double headers. Would you consider swapping Arietta for Velasquez? Putting Velasquez in this spot. I think the bigger issue there is you're honestly probably going to need seven pitchers mm-hmm. for that week span or that 10 day span. And when you yeah. look through the depth in the organization, you have Cole Irvin, you have Vince Velasquez, but then beyond that, Ranger Suarez would be your next pick. And he's not stretched out right now. He's coming out of the bullpen because he spent like a month in COVID-19 protocol. He wasn't able to play. So honestly, you don't really have a choice. I mean, it's unfortunate, but you just kind of hope that you can piggyback a little bit with the seven inning games. Honestly, Samara was saying how that hurts the Mets a bit. I really have enjoyed the seven inning games from a Phillies perspective because if you just have a guy like Spencer Howard or even if like Jake can just pitch four innings, five innings, in a normal game, that kills you. That kills your bullpen. But if you can just go in the fifth inning, pull your starter, and already have the back end of your bullpen, I think that's a great thing. I don't think they'll be able to swap out Arietta for Velasquez. I think they're going to have to roll with the two of them. But I think that in a scenario where they can only pitch seven innings, 
it's a lot less margin or it's a lot less of a chance of messing up than it would be putting them in like a normal September playoff run okay. and a normal nine inning game every fifth day. That's something I'd be more hesitant towards. That's a really good point because he does have the strength. You know, if he's on for a couple innings, he could get a few Ks. And, you know, if he only gives up one or two runs over seven innings, we can outscore that. So that's a good point. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's a big thing was, again, the depth for the in the bullpen and our starting pitchers not being able to go three or four, getting pulled after two, getting pulled after 40 pitches, whatever it may be, after having a long inning. It was tough. You know, you have three or four different people coming out of the bullpen then, and you have Edwin Diaz, who's been Edwin. He hasn't been Edwin Diaz, the Edwin Diaz of the past, uh, and, and it's been tough. So, I mean, this matchup, again, it's pretty unfavorable for both teams uh, on Friday night. Porcello has looked awful this season. He's only thrown two quality starts in seven outings. He's allowed a 321 batting average to opponents, and they're just rocking him. So, again, hammer the over on this one and, and look ahead to Saturday. Spencer Howard, he's a rookie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's rookie coming off his first career win against the Nationals with a 5.4 ERA going against Seth Lugo, 1-2 and two record, 2.12 ERA. But to me, you know, again, the win, wins and losses mean nothing. Lugo is coming out of from being in the bullpen for two or three years. He doesn't have his, his arm as strong as it once was. So he's pitching into the fourth inning for the first time, yes, in two years. He should be good on Saturday for around 75 pitches if his arm doesn't give, up, give out on him, which it has in the past. So another game where it looks like the Mets are going to need to – really rely on those bullpen arms, which is scary, again, because we have all of the injuries to the bullpen, and we have to rely on guys like Brad Brock and Justin Wilson, and and that's very scary for me. David Peterson, I don't think, should be coming out of the bullpen. He was doing really well as a starting pitcher for the Mets, one of the best. I would put him right behind Jacob DeGrom in terms of, of where we are, which is crazy considering our starting rotation at the beginning of the season w- went from prospectively DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, Rick Porcello, and Michael Waka, or uh, Steven Matz, rather, to now you have Jacob DeGrom, you don't have David Peterson anymore, Stroman's out for the season and probably go, might go somewhere else during the offseason and free agency. Stephen Matz, who had who was absolutely destroyed in all of his outings, who was moved to the bullpen, started one game out of the bullpen and then got hurt. He's on the 10-day IL with shoulder soreness. And now you have again guys like Gazelman and Lugo coming off coming out of the bullpen who can't go the distance like we want them to. And it's it's been really difficult. Now I personally am freaking out over this these matchups because our bullpen is so bad and the bullpen really needs to carry the team. And I don't think they'll be able to. The biggest thing now for this series, if the bullpen isn't performing is that we need to get the bats going. And that's another thing that could be rather questionable because the Mets bats haven't been that great. And they're in last place with runners in scoring position. 
Now, the one caveat to that is that despite the Mets being in last place with 3.92 runners left in scoring position per game, the Phillies are right, right there with them, second to last place with runners left in scoring position with 3.79. Yeah, here's my thing. Just to go back to your point about the – especially even for a matchup like tomorrow where Lugo is not stretched out, where I think it's 75 pitches they said they're going to have him mm-hmm. in towards – when you look at the Phillies lineup right now, there's like they are all picking each other up like crazy. You look at a guy like Bryce Harper, who has been playing horrible the last couple of games. You look at JT Realmuto, who swung at a ball that was basically over his head yesterday. These guys are picking each other up. Reese Hoskins was horrendous to start the season. Over his last seven games, he's almost hitting 400. He's hit six home runs in the last week. McCutcheon's really McCutcheon honestly it was that game against Rick Porcello where McCutcheon just hit a bomb off of him that got him going he's been hitting his last 15 games he's been hitting 317 and then also just the Phillies take a lot of pitches and I think that's a bad setup for something like the Mets bullpen when you're trying to put in a guy who's on a pitch count Bryce Harper's second in Major League Baseball 28 walks Reese Hoskins is third in baseball at 26 walks. So this is a lineup that's going to see pitches. D.E. Gregorius is another guy who just turns in professional at-bat after professional at-bat. These aren't guys who are just going to come up and swing right away. They will when they need this, when they need that opportunity to. Sometimes I think they've honestly been too patient. That's why you see those bad numbers with the runners in scoring position because sometimes they've just like – been waiting for the perfect, perfect pitch and just taking pitches that are good pitches to hit, pitches that are too close to take in a two strike in a two strike count, and I think that it goes both ways. But just when you have a pitching setup like the Mets do this weekend, I think the Phillies' patience can definitely go a long way. Yeah, and I mean the Mets continue to just watch watch balls pass them by, and and they're not protecting the plate enough. I always learned. If you have two strikes, you have to protect the plate. You have to swing at anything close. And maybe my coach was stupid. I don't think he was. I think he was preaching the right, <laughs> the right thing. But it seems like, you know, especially guys like Pete Alonzo, Brandon Nimmo, even sometimes Jeff McNeil, they're, they're watching some, some good pitches pass them by, and then they're getting caught up inside. Pete Alonzo also, he's swinging above his head. He hasn't looked like the Pete Alonzo of last year, the rookie of the year which is to be expected. You know, he had a superstar season last year and there's obviously a fall off at some point, but he's struggling massively offensively despite a team high eight home runs. He's only batting 209. And I think the big thing this series will be getting his bat going and continuing the bats of, of Michael Conforto, who's becoming a budding superstar uh, in his last few games. He had like five RBIs against the Orioles the other night. And, and Jeff McNeil is starting to pick it up. He, he got his batting average up to 292. And he, you could tell that he was slumping big time. He just didn't look like himself. But now with his, his he's hitting the ball opposite way, same field, but, but solid line drives. Even on his outs, they're solid outs. They're not bad ground outs and, and bad swings and at bad pitches. So so there's some bright spots to the to this offensive lineup, but again, you insert Todd Frazier, who we just picked up right as the trade deadline is about to expire, 
And the move to me was a little iffy. I was confused. Why do we want Todd Frazier back? He has one of the most awkward swings I've ever seen. He kind of just hacks at it like I did when I was playing softball. I was a much better fielder than I was. But, you know, he's an older guy. So, so a lot of the guys were excited to hear that he was, he was back. He has that veteran presence in the locker room. And this is a rather young team. But to, to insert him right away into the lineup and put him as the cleanup hitter is a little questionable to me. You have guys like Dom Smith who have been raking and Michael Conforto and, and to have Todd Frazier and it, it come in as the cleanup guy, it makes no sense to me. You know what? It reminds me exactly of what the 2018 Phillies did. They were around August 5th. They were in first place in the division, but their trade deadline the week before, instead of going out and getting young pieces, controllable pieces, giving up prospects and making a deep run for it. Their trade deadline that year was Aaron Loop, Wilson Ramos, um, Luis Avilon, and then they picked Estrubal Cabrera, and then they picked up Jose Batista a couple weeks later. You know, it was some, that whole veteran presence thing, but it really killed the morale in the clubhouse. You know, you had guys like J.P. Crawford, Jorge Alfaro, guys who are young guys who are developing with the organization, you know, you look at a guy like Dom Smith, who's made noise the last couple of years, obviously a big moment for the Mets last year was that walk-off home run to end the season for Dom Smith. I felt like a turning point to transition into something. And just to take young guys like that and put them out of a lineup for a guy like Todd Frazier, it just seems really stupid to me. It's the same thing where it was September, 2018 and Nick Williams was on the bench and I was watching Jose Batista playing the outfield for the Phillies every day. It was ridiculous. It just felt pointless and ended up killing the clubhouse. The Phillies had a horrible implosion and finished in like third or fourth place from first place on August 5th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I'm excited to get the big guns and Steve Cohen in <laughs> this, um, into this operation because he's willing to spend on young guys and he's a diehard fan too. So, so I don't think he would put a guy like Todd Frazier in over Dom Smith or J.D. Davis or McNeil or Alonzo or anyone, to to be quite frank. So, I mean, it should definitely be an interesting series, again, highlighted by DeGrom and Nola. We don't know who's pitching for the Mets yet on Monday, a Labor Day afternoon game. I believe it's a 1 o'clock start on on Monday. Mm -hmm. Some birthday baseball could end – probably poorly for me without if you don't know who the pitcher is it's it's definitely going to be something I I did forget to mention we do have someone new in our bullpen Miguel Castro who's looked pretty decent so far in a small sample size for the Mets but it'll it'll I I think despite the troubles in the bullpen that we have offensively the guys are producing they've had I want to say like 20 runs or something in the last three games alone. So, so they're, they're starting to pick up the bats and, and, and becoming, get in that offensive groove. And I wouldn't count the Mets out this series. I really wouldn't. I don't know about that. I could see a two and two split or a three and one series win for the Phillies. I think tonight's game is definitely a toss up. And then you have Howard tomorrow. We'll see how deep he can go, but I really think – I mean, the Nolan DeGrom is going to be great, but the way Philly's bats have been going, 
And if Nolan can be at his top form, I think we'll edge you out on that one. And then Zach Wheeler is kind of unstoppable. Um, like Harrison said a little earlier, it's really all of the pieces around the superstars for the Phillies that are picking it up. I mean, I've been so impressed with Alec Bohm's performance this season. He's been putting up big numbers towards the bottom of the lineup. Um, I think he's batting 317 with nine runs, 20 hits, two home runs, and 10 RBIs. You love to see that. You love seeing guys like Goslin and Bruce coming in. I, I think offensively, Phillies might outmatch the Mets. So if, you know, maybe it comes down to the bullpens late in the game, you know, which bullpen gives up more runs. But I would say either two and two split or three and one for the Phillies. I, you know, I love that you brought up Jay Bruce because Jay Bruce is my standout star this weekend. The, the whole, uh, once again, I've said before that Rob Manfred is killing baseball, and I tr- thoroughly believe that he is. However, with that said, seven inning doubleheaders and a designated hitter have been huge for the Phillies this year. Jay Bruce is a guy who he says he can still play a good left field. But you watch him out there, even yesterday, there was a ball Roman Quinn missed in center field, and it took Jay Bruce a hot second to get over there to cover the ground to get there. But Jay Bruce in the designated hitter spot, he's – honestly, he's raked against the Mets the last year plus since – Of course he has. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but he really, like – I mean, he he had a multi-home run game in city field. He hit a walk-off double over Juan Lagares' head – He's, I think he hit four or five home runs against the Mets in a half season with the Phillies last year. Just having him in that lineup, having the designated hitter has been huge for the Phillies. It's allowed Joe Girardi to play around with the lineup, keep McCutcheon in, get him off his feet, which is also huge because obviously the whole season completely imploded immediately after McCutcheon was hurt last year. So just, it's really been, like Andrew said about how everyone's picking up the pace, it's really been a next man up thing. I mean, Reese Hoskins is tearing the cover off the ball. He gets a day off the other day, and Neil Walker plays first base, makes a great pick, and goes three three hits, I think he had. So, including a run off of Scherzer to kind of knock him out of the game. So, it's really just a really deep lineup, and it's it should be interesting to see how it plays out this weekend. I agree with Andrew. I could see 2-2 split of this series. I think Jacob DeGrom will, will edge out Aaron Nola, but that's just me being – a huge fan of Jacob DeGrom. Again, this will be this will be a great matchup. Hopefully, again, hopefully. Sure. I can only hope as a Mets fan. It's it's hard to say things like this. But <laughs> but you know, the good good analysis, good breakdown of this series. I do want to briefly touch on the Celtics before we wrap up, talk about a couple bets and and get this thing done in about five minutes. But the Celtics last night. Kemba Walker makes a crazy move. He dribbles through defenders. He makes a sweet pass to Daniel Tice under the basket. Tice dunks it with 0.5 seconds left. Celtics up by two. 0.5 seconds left. Raptors call a timeout. Nick Nurse draws up a play. Celtics are in zone defense. Celtics insert Taco Fall, who's like eight feet tall, to cover Kyle Lowry, who's inbounding the ball. Now, Jalen Brown gets a little lost. He's playing, rightfully so, he's, he's underneath the basket where Marcus All is and where Daniel Tice are. But Kyle Lowry is able to make a ridiculous pass over Taco Fall across the court to OG Ananobi, who pops a corner three-pointer 
buzzer beater with, again, 0.5 seconds felt like it was four seconds. It, it was the longest half of a second of my life. So, so the, the Raptors end up edging past the Celtics by one point. I think it was 104-103 was the final score. It was absolutely devastating. It makes me a little bit nervous. The Celtics were about to go up 3-0. Now the Raptors have the momentum going into game four on Saturday. It does mean I'll get some birthday basketball, which could either be the game that the Celtics clinch. It'll be the game four win, or they could, they could lose. It's, you know, sports, as I said this to Andrew last night, sports have this wild way of just sucking you in and bringing you to life and then absolutely crushing your soul. And, and it really, like, I take these losses personally. Like, like Michael Jordan in the, in the Last Dance documentary, I took it personal. I'm taking it, per- <laughs> I'm taking it personal. But, Andrew, how have your bets been this week? They've been pretty good. I was going to say not to go back to the Phillies. Do you want to do a strikeout bet? Who gets more strikeouts, DeGrom or Nola? I'll Sunday? definitely do a strikeout bet. Do a little friendly, maybe $10 wager? Yeah, yeah I'm down for that. All right, cool. That sounds fun. My bets have been okay. I haven't been playing too much this week because I'm trying to save up for the Kentucky Derby. Everybody hammered tis the law. It's the best horse out there. He's going to win by a country mile. Um, and I've really been cashing in big on Flyers overtime bets. They've now won three – well, all of their games against the Islanders have been won in overtime. So if the Flyers go to overtime in game seven, hammer that too. Maybe don't bet them before the game because you never know what could happen with these guys. Um, but, yeah, so just trying to stay above uh, 500 or even with my money and uh, going to hammer the Kentucky Derby. I had a, a big parlay bail me out. I hammered the over on the Utah Nuggets game, and, and that didn't hit quite like I thought it was going to with, with Murray and, and Mitchell going off. Wasn't quite what I was hoping for a game seven, but – you know, whatever happens, happens. I had the baseball parlay that really, you know, picked me up. I was, I, I'm way past even. I'm, I'm plus money. I did find out that I have the Islanders winning the whole Stanley Cup uh, on an yeah. odds boost that I took way back in January or no, or December, whatever it may be. But we are running out of time on this Zoom call, so I do have to wrap up the show. Harrison, thank you so much for joining us. As always, this, this show is brought to you by Guy Boston Sports. Make sure you're following all of us on Twitter at SamaraRose31 and at CityJohn. And Harrison, plug, plug yourself. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Tischler, T-I-S-H-L-E-R, Harrison. Follow me on Instagram at HTischler. Wow, plug in the Instagram too. All right, well, thank okay. you all for tuning in. We'll be back next week with some more hot sports takes. Thanks, guys.